Good morning, Christ Central. I'll be reading the scripture today uh, coming from 1 Samuel chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats, in front of the wild goats rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of his cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind, excuse me, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the men who say, behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know that you see there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge me and you. May the Lord Excuse me. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the after whom has the king of Israel come out? And whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea? May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you and see it and plead my case and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words, Saul, speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me. In that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. 
Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, before we get started, I just want to do some housekeeping and let you know that for some reason, every time we come online, there's somebody watching, looking, taking notes, and then sending out emails and the name of people on the staff. So if you get an email from me saying, hey, I need you to do something for me, like call me back or send me some money or whatever, and you look closely and isn't hbrown at christcentralchurch.com, um, please report it to Google or whatever uh, message, uh, email message service you have so they can be cut off. But if you're doing that, I'm urging you you know, um, to, to stop it. Um, and uh, please, I'm not asking anything of you or asking you to call me back or anything like that. That ain't the way things work around here. And those who know me know better. So just want to throw that out there. Um, and uh, just glad to be back before you all after a much needed time away last month. Thanks to all who stepped up and preached and led pastors, Derek, Amari, and Josh, we had some major shifts, as a letter I sent out uh, said, this summer, Pastor Amari has taken a call to be the chaplain and a Bible teacher at Covenant Day School here in Charlotte, and he will be with us, but not as an assistant pastor. And at the same time, before we even knew Pastor O will be le- would be leaving us, we called Pastor Josh Kim to a full-time assistant pastor role uh, from his part-time position. And I praise God, right, for the ministry Pastor O has had among us as our assistant pastor. And at the same time, I thank God for his providence to have Pastor Josh in position to help lead in Pastor O's transition, right? But I also want to thank my wife, right? And my lifelong partner in ministry, Kelly Brown, who is running the African-American ministry for our denomination. And she backloaded much of her work, that work to not only rest herself, but she does it to make sure I am able to rest, right? And, 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 and who, with the help of Amy Dotson, made sure, right, this worship team kept going while we were gone. This isn't what it this isn't what it is without how God uses um, uh, Kelly, right? Uh, everything you see wouldn't be if she didn't set it up and make sure it was going on. So thank you, Kelly, First Lady, Director of Worship, Operations Manager of AAM, wife and mother. Thank you for helping me rest and helping Christ Central Church keep going as the original member and church planter of Christ Central Church. Uh, So now to Samuel, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, here's the lowdown. And as you can tell, we skipped the chapter um, and and jumped ahead to chapter 24. We didn't go into chapter 23. And in chapter 23, um, it just accentuates, right? Saul's pursuit of David, right? David has been told that he is the next king of Israel. But his boss, the current king, Saul, living with the prophecy that his administration will come to an end, can't live with that. And using all the means of the kingdom, he goes on an all-out manhunt to take the X factor, David, out of the equation. So that he, Saul, could stay king. On the run, David gathers around him all the misfits, the disillusioned, and the fringe folks to be his small army of men. And we see them running through the wilderness and and dancing around the borders like Cassius Clay to stay alive and ahead of Saul. And with all of his 
military power, Saul's got this 3,000-member imperial green berets on his side, right? Chasing after David. With all of that firepower, right? He can't seem to catch up to David. Not because David was so good, but because David was never the X factor. It was all about the Lord and his plan. Today's passage, David's men go hide out in a deep, dark cave. They, they, they hide out in the back of this cave to stay out of sight and, and rest. And Saul and his army come into the area. And keeping with biblical laws of cleanliness, and, and because Saul had some tact, Saul leaves his army and finds what he thinks is an empty cave. To the Bible, to, as the Bible says, relieve himself. We all know what that means, right? He went to take a royal poop, right? Right? Okay, I'm not going to get into poop language. You, you know, my family, oh my gosh. I'll spare you. But just want to lay it plain for you. And apparently, he took all his clothes off to do it. Some of y'all do. We, 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 okay, we're not getting into that. And David and his men... Saul saw Saul near the entrance of the cave taking care of his business. And they say this in verse 4. Here is the day, David, of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. David, do you hear us? In Hamilton-esque style, don't throw away your shot. Just like this country, you're young, spunky, and hungry. Don't throw away your shot. We have been, we have all been here, right? Scrappy, sorry, thank you. Ooh, young, scrappy, and hungry. I tried to rewrite it. You know, that's what he should have put. No, sir. Okay, all right, got you. Got you. He didn't win any Tony Awards or anything like that. But we, <laughs> like, oh, okay, we're not getting into this. I'm having a conversation over here with my wife. Let, let, me, let me stay focused. We have been all here in one way or another. Ready? Ready to not throw away our shot. To get some payback, right? To, to move ahead, to, to prove our point, to win, to bust some heads, to pop some bubbles, to blow up the spot, to survive by any means necessary, to keep it real, to drop the mic on somebody. But in all that hype, all that young, scrappy, hungry, we feel, the Lord wants more, not just from us, but for us. That is, get this, something that is big enough for the moment, yet filling enough for our emotions. And boy, right now, we, we are in a revolution of sorts in our country and world, due in large part to the unplanned reality of disease, combined with the way we as a country and our pride have stripped bare and, and are caught in the stink of our racial and social injustices, right? We kind of sit there. It's right here, right now, with everything vulnerable and exposed, with people vulnerable and exposed, that the Lord wants us to not throw away our shot, to bring true and eternal revolution. 
So three things he has done for that to happen that I want us to see. First, that the Lord has put us in positions of influence. Secondly, the Lord has positioned us to offer his redemption. And finally, the Lord has positioned us to receive his grace. In that cave, the Lord put David in a position of influence, to say the least. This is no ordinary situation. Situation. I mean, this is the king of Israel though, in, in Saul, though he is a jerk, a madman, and a murderer. David says it this way when he returns with a piece of Saul's robe instead of Saul's head. It says this in verse 6. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. I want you to see that Saul's death, as David is making clear, if he had killed him, would change and shift everything for the kingdom. By one swipe of his sword, he would have set into motion not only Saul's life in the political climate, but put his hand, hear me, into God's kingdom plan for the country. Like David, I believe the Lord has put us in positions to engage and play roles of influence in God's kingdom plan and God's created earth. Hear this, with people, influence and engage people made the image in likeness of God. He's given us uh, access and influence and, and the ability to engage. And here's the crazy thing about influence. It comes and can happen from two directions. We can either be servants, constituents, and unseen, kind of the unrecognized positions in the dark, right? Or we can be up front, leaders, elected officials, in the light, being an authority. That's why the Bible speaks, if you look throughout, to, not only to the authorities, but also to people who serve under them. And it speaks with equal conviction and calling for the servant and the leader, for the boss and the employee. The Bible says David was in the dark. Saul couldn't see and didn't see him coming, of course. Just like someone who's serving, right, or being led, a constituent, a citizen, a person on the assembly line. You know, where you're kind of assumed to be there and do your part and play your role or in a position where those in authority don't have to watch their backs with you because they're over you. What's funny is sometimes the help, right, the hurt. The oppressed see more and have more opportunity to influence and be stealth and catch and see someone's nakedness and weaknesses even more than the one with the power and in charge. In fact, the one in charge or in power can be an easier target for the one who is unseen and in the dark. Because sometimes people in power have so much arrogance, have, have so much, uh, they're just so assured that, that, that the people are listening and under them that they move ahead and they're not really watching their backs. It reminds me of the movie in the book, The Help, right? Where somebody ate a poop pie, remember? Because The Help made the pie. 
And they ate it because they were so sure, you know, what they did in dark was going to be for my good, right? And, 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 and it's real life, according to my grandma, who raised uh, folks' kids and, 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 and cooked their food. And, and these are folk who didn't see them as equal, who said, you stay in the kitchen. You only come in here when you serve the food. Don't talk. Don't do this. My grandma had to, re- had to, had to, had to leave some employment one time because the, the person who was in charge was so cruel. And she had a friend who said, I'm going to deal with the cruel. So she peed in the greens, right? And gave it to the people. Oh, this is so good. Like, this is so great, right? I mean, and, and, and you would think, how can that be? It's because you're in a position and, and the person who's in charge is the vulnerable one. <laughs> Whether we are in the position as children or submitted husband or wife or employee or citizen of a country, or yes, a member of the church. You've been in position, you are positioned by God to influence from where you are. You, you can rock the boat. Yes, you can. You can go to social media and Facebook and start gossip and send out emails. You can make folk eat a mess pie. Right? You can. And on and on, based on what you see, hear this from this perspective, what you are allowed to see from the darkness, especially with your spouse, especially with your close friends, especially with those you went to church with and now are no longer at the church, right? Or you're no longer there, especially at those who let down their guard. You you, you can come in and you can swipe and, and declare justice by God. Many of us are living in the darkness and blind side of someone's vulnerability. Like Baldwin's Invisible Man, right? Here's what I want you to see. The Lord has put you there. Not you. Hear, hear, hear me for a minute. I understand that, 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 that injustices and oppression, and those things may may be the mechanisms that that you find yourself there, even those mechanisms, for whatever reason, you are there, right? In that position as employee instead of boss, as servant instead instead of the one being served. But I want you to recognize that God in his sovereignty has put you there, but it doesn't lessen your ability to have influence in that person's life or in the life around that person. But David is also leading in this story. His men are watching and waiting on his action, right? David is their example, the man in the cave with him. And as the anointed next king of Israel, his actions will influence a whole nation of people that he will lead. Now, later, Texas said wickedness begets wickedness, like wicked actions cause more wickedness to come. And David is saying, not only for you, Saul, your wicked actions may bring wickedness, or my wicked actions will bring wickedness. He is there saying, if we, as the present king and the future king, act wickedly, it will create and call and and cause our people to deal with a wicked heritage. A wicked legacy will pass on to them. 
Look at verse 6 and 7. Look at what he says to his men. The, the, the Lord forbid that I, that I should do this thing to my Lord, Saul, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he's the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Now, the original language is stronger, much stronger. David had to all out verbally war with his men to stop them from taking Saul out. You know, I, I guess it was like, you, you know how in the scene in Boys in the Hood, when, when they went out and, and they got in an argument and all Ice Cube's character, Doughboy's character was lift up his shirt and you just saw the gun, right? I'm sure David had to say, hey, we're not going to kill Saul today. Right? It, it was a real fight. It was about to be a war up in there. But you understand why. Remember who these dudes were. They were the protesters and zealots and wanting change now and not happy with Saul's leadership. They, they were the oppressed and, we, we, and they were the, we got your back, David. We ride or die revolutionaries who joined up for this moment and you didn't smoke that fool. We, we followed you and risked our lives. And as they said in verse 4, God said he would give your enemies into your hand. And the, the wrong, wrong application there. He was talking about the Philistines. God has given you your enemies in hand. And what? A piece of cloth is all you bring back. What's this? David, you ain't conscious. You ain't a true Israelite. You ain't the king we hope you were. You too passive. You too weak. You too sell out. You, you, you say this in private about revolution and, and, and God this and God over your enemies that. You're writing all these songs and singing it on your harp, rapping about how we with God are conscious and we all living up in caves and you bring back a piece of cloth. What's wrong with you, man? You ain't the real deal. Could you imagine this conversation it, it, trying to keep it quiet and Saul's at the front? Because as soon if they were too loud and Saul heard it, Saul men going to rise up and going to be a wall. But haven't you heard it? I know I have. As a parent, as a boss, as a teacher, as a team leader, as any kind of leader, where your decisions define and shape reality for a lot of people or other people, the Lord has put us in those positions as well, right? But not for popularity. Not always for fame, not always for fortune, not so we can be the next Shea Rivera or Huey Newton or Susan B. Anthony or Angela Davis, but for the Lord's purpose and will and desire. And he might make you one of those revolutionaries, but it will always be to do his plan, his will, his way. Right? It does not always, most times, it doesn't always jog with the way most people around you. Think, or how we instinctively and immediately think. In fact, David even faltered a bit at first, didn't he? Look, look what happens in, in verse 4. This is, this is some interesting language here. I want you to see it. And, men, and the men of David said to him, here is the day, right, of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy in your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Right? This is the popular folk, right? These are the folks saying, go get them, man. You, you in position, take him out, right? Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now listen to verse 5. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I've, I, 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 it doesn't say it, but, but just the way it reads to me. It looked like David did give in a little bit. In fact, he actually went forward with his sword 
right? I, I thought it would be, if he was completely perfect in it, right, he would have not done anything, right? But he went forward, you know, the men, get him, David, get him. And he went forward, and the Bible says he cut his robe. But get this, I believe that even cutting the robe off was out of order because of what it meant. Do you know what it meant symbolically because of what Samuel the prophet said? Samuel the prophet said, hey, Saul, because Saul's robe ripped one time, and he says, hey, the kingdom is being torn out of your hands just like this piece of robe and given to your neighbor, who is David, right? So David is thinking uh, he could have used it, right? Because it could have meant, I got you, fool, right? Remember what Samuel the prophet, the kingdom like your robe is being ripped from you and put in my hands anointed? Well, that's me, sucker. I got you, right? David was afraid and worried that cutting the robe would send that message. And it wasn't his job to send that message. Instead of what the Lord had put him, David, in his position of influence to communicate to Saul, <laughs> which was God's redemption for Saul. Now, the Bible was clear that Saul had a violent history. And is doing and killing everyone, doing everything and killing everyone he can to kill David, to unjustly murder him. And in doing so, and everybody knows he tried to kill him before, and in doing so it's caused David, as David describes, to live and be made to feel like a dog. Wait, 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 not a dog, a flea on the dog, right? Let me tell you what Saul's doing. Saul is oppressing and neglecting and doing injustice in every way. But in that cave, David decided to not throw away his shot to show Saul something better. God's redemption. Look, beginning at verse 8. I'm going to read through this. Then we're going to kind of hold it in our minds as much as possible so I don't have to read it again and again. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul. My Lord, the king. <laughs> and when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks you harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today in my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, wow, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you. Though you hunt my life to take it, right? May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord uh, avenge me against you. By my hand shall not be, but my hand shall not be against you. As the Proverbs of the ancients say, it says, out of the wick wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? No, not just a dog, y'all, a dead dog. After a flea? May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my case, my cause, and deliver me from your hand. Now, what I want you to see is that David tells and points Saul 
Ready, y'all? Not to the worse of himself, but to the best soul that God created, called, and held him responsible to be. David had redeemed vision. That's the word right there. Redeemed vision for Saul in the situation. Which means he had a vision for a repentant and redeemed Saul and a redeemed Israel and country as a result. And David does this by pointing and reminding Saul that he was, you see the words, God's anointed. That he was called by God to lead. And that made him, as David says here, what? You are my king, he uses the words. You are my Lord by God's appointment. And you are a father to me in your age and position. And thus you should not feel the need to treat me like this. Because of who and how you stand and are called before God. You, me, we, what? What does he say? We shouldn't be living like this. Things shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't be, shouldn't based on what and who God has called you to be and put in his word, be treating me unjustly. How how does he put it? Like a dog or dead dog or flea that is below what? The you God has called you to be. Do you see that? Because sometimes uh, words of justice are about restoring the humanity of the oppressor. David treated and responded to Saul in and then outside the cave, not according to Saul's faults and failures and oppressive behavior or evil, even though he was responding to it, right? But the hope and but he rather he was respond he, he uh, treated and responded to Saul with the hope and possibility, hear me, of God's redemption to change him and handle the injustice between them. And in a crazy move, if you didn't believe David was taking it for real, David unarmed stretches out on the ground. (laughs) He kneels before the oppressor. And is in essence declaring, warring with you is not God's solution for this. Rather, I lay myself on the ground though you have not earned it. I will call you my Lord because of your position, though you have not acted like that. I will call you father, though you have treated like I spend your life and give you honor. Why? Because the Lord has power and justice and a plan. And that plan may be to change you into the person he calls you to be, right? Or make the situation right. And I submit myself to that plan. I lay myself down before you as I lay myself down to God's plan. I open my life to God's plan of redemption for your life, Saul. So you will be free to lay your life out before him and repent and not remain defensive and insecure and afraid, right? That though you, Saul, may not be able to see or act like the redeemed you, that the the you God would have you to be, I as his son, right? As God's son will and must give my life away, right? I must give my life and my fears and desires away for you 
and not condemn you. I have to have faith in God's redemption of you more than my personal desire and ability to regulate your behavior. Singer-actress Jill Scott calls for social justice from elected leadership in her song, When I Wake Up. And she uses these words, I want fresh fruit, I want clean air, air that I don't see. I want the feeling of being safe on my streets. I want my children to be smarter than me. I want, I want to feel, I want to feel free. For real, y'all, I'm just telling you, talking to the official, so you know I want to. I want to have faith in you. And the Bible says by calling Saul to be someone David could not should be able to have faith in, that guess what happened, y'all? Saul sees and admits just how far he has fallen and has missed the mark. Look at verse 16. Look, look what Saul says. As soon as David had finished speaking, these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice? My son, David. Y'all see that? He called him father. Now Saul is free to call him son. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. In other words, David, you ain't done nothing wrong. He declares him righteous. For you have repaid me good, whereas I repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands, right? For if a man finds his enemy, will he not let him go? Would he let him go safe? No. So may the Lord reward you for with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know you shall surely be king. And I'm going to stop right there. But here's what Saul admits. I believe in God's plan that I won't be king forever. You're going to be king. David, I'm believing it all. So the thing I've been fighting against and oppressing you about, I'm willing to accept. Saul is admitting, I am not acting like the king God called me to be or the father figure I should be to you and the person before the Lord that he has positioned and called me to be. And, but Saul's eyes weren't opened. Get this now, because think about the tactics we use. Saul's eyes weren't opened because David shamed him or because David cornered him. In fact, he he let him go to the open end of the cave, didn't he? Or won his argument. Or got the most thumbs up or likes. Or found the most dirt to ruin him. Or find the most stuff on his tax records to ruin him. Or ignored him. Or dragged him through the mud there. Or stepped out of his God-ordained position as the, hear me carefully, Next king. He ain't a king yet. The next king, when God says so, but rather because David was able, right, somehow to look beyond Saul's shortcomings and even his own personal desire for retribution and rightness and rather to a God-sized vision of what the Lord had called him to be and trusting the Lord to fix what was. Which meant David had, here's another word, we had the redeemed vision. Because David had redeemed hope. (laughs) Let me make something clear. If you look at this passage here, he says this. 
verse 12? Yeah, verse 12. Sorry, I was trying to freehand it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not come against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? Now hear this. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. I want to make this clear, right? David is not letting Saul off the hook. That's not what this is about. He is saying, my anger, my rage, my sword cutting you down in that cave, my waving this piece of cloth in the wrong way, which is like teasing and shaming you in front of men, showing them that you could have been mine and I'm a better soldier and on and on. Man, let me tell you, I I ain't trying to be an advocate for no news outlet, right? But sometimes the newspaper is like a a piece of robe, right? Where we're waving it saying, we got you. We got this information. Look how bad you are. Look how wrong you are. Look how off you are. Depending on where the newspaper comes from, from the Christian side, from the evangelical side, from the liberal side, from the conservative side, from the Republican side, from the Democrat side, from whatever side. We all do the same thing. We're waving this rag of information that says you are shameful. You were in the cave naked. We found who you were in the dark and we could have had you, right? He didn't do that. He could have said, I'm a better soldier and on and on. Would not have been the best in handling our broken relationship. You're mistreatment of me. But I am hoping and trusting ultimately in God's grace, power, and mercy to redeem you. By laying down before Saul and not killing him in that cave, David is saying, my best judgment. Hear me, y'all. And I'm walking with y'all, okay? So I'm up here preaching, but I don't like it, right? Some of this I don't like hearing. When I was putting the sermon together, I'm like, I don't know who this is for. I don't even know who preaching it because this is hard, right? But David is saying my best judgment, my best penalty, my best political argument or social argument, right? My best shaming technique, my best silent treatment, maybe your husband or wife, right? My best slander towards you, all the stuff I saw about you in the darkness that I want to expose and shame you, it will not change you. It has no power to change this thing between us. That's why he's saying, let God judge. Let God sentence. And sentence is the process of sanctification that God chooses to use. The process of discipline God chooses to use. Not the process of execution we choose to use. And maybe, and we know he will take Saul out later in the the book. But we know God did it. Here's the fact, y'all. We don't always trust or want to wait for the Lord to redeem. You know what? I think it just gives them fools another chance just to disgrace us. Don't let them keep disgracing us. I don't want another day. Take them out now. And all that forgiveness, mercy, Jesus stuff lets them stay in power. Right? It, It was the house Negro that caused stuff to stay longer. Right? You don't want to be that person. It was a good acting person, right? All of these images of shame in my head. 
We're, okay, that's true too. But those sh- images of shame of being an Uncle Tom or, or, or like I heard <laughs> Elder uh, Alexander John say, they got their Uncle Chan, right? Uncle Chang and Uncle Tom, right? The kind of model servants, right? Who just do right and smile. These lies, right? These images in our minds, we cannot let them oppress our Christianity. They are oppressing. They're like the men in the cave. They're kind of these silent figures saying, don't be this. And, and, and it's saying, don't be a Christian. It, 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 it kind of comes sideways a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying being an Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom and Uncle Chang can't redeem the situation either. Right? But for us to say, I want to win now. And I'm not going to throw away my shot of feeling good about myself and showing how evil and wrong they are by any means necessary is not the road to redemption either. Truth be told, it's hard to hope for and in the worse and worse people. And to live like God could actually call and change someone who is so off who's had so many opportunities, and then treat them like that. It is so weak feeling and so silly and so passive. So we go and read more and gather more facts and more dirt and adding up all the wrongs as ammunition to show folks the worst. We, we hoping that turns things against us because we're so hurt and we're so condemned. We turn to condemnation instead of redemption. I don't know if like some of us, we're just tired. I don't know about you. I'm worn down. Like David, I'm tired of running on empty as believers, but instead of gathering the grace necessary through fellowship and prayer and sacraments and the word and worship, to, to be able to have the grace and spiritual fortitude and ability to offer these folks redemptions, we follow and are egged on by the populace to just blow the thing up. No matter who it hurts. Not even if it hurts the Lord's witness. <laughs> David, David even tells us not to let others tell him differently than what the Lord has said. And David had to do the same thing in that cave. He called Saul to a redeemed vision and hope above, hear me, what most people can see and accept. So this thing about redeemed vision, redeemed hope, it's rare. Let me go ahead and explain it. It's not a populist thing. It's not a popular thing. It's a narrow way of thinking. It is kingdom thinking. Some of us have been moved on, not by social justice or social mores, but social pressure to not be a wimp, to not lose by fear, not faith. Now hear me, let me make this clear. This is not about not pleading your case. I don't know how much more clear David is pleading his case, right? I'm not a dog, dead dog. He's basically saying, I'm not a dead dog. I'm not a flea you can chase around, right? And God is going to judge you for how you treat me. But it is... It's not about not protesting powerfully or not expressing your concerns or not fighting for what is right. Or or it's not about just laying down and dying. This is about finally protesting and expressing and fighting and sharing and living with power. 
I know you want to tell your parents off. I know you want to shame some of them for how they failed and screwed up. Y'all got, you kids, you grown kids, y'all got plenty of ammunition. How about mom and daddy and what they did? I know you want to let us church leaders have it for our real failures and caring for you in this world. And you got ammunition. You got facts. I know many of you would rather have President Trump be found out and shamed and deposed and brought low and metaphorically beheaded in a way that you can tell all your friends and adversaries that voted for him. See, I told you. Oh, wouldn't that feel good? Some of you want to go and tell, you, you stupid for supporting and voting for him, you white evangelical people. You want to shame folk. You just want to be right. You just want to build an armor of security. I know some of you are so glad to point out the theological and moral inconsistencies with the Black Lives Matter movement every moment you can. You revel and gain pride and energy when Fox News shows what ha appears to be them burning Bibles and being so Marxist. And as the number de of dead rise from COVID-19, some of us are happy to prove that the no-mask folks were wrong. Majoring and trusting in that stuff and swinging your sword in the dark with no redemptive vision and hope that the Lord calls and gives us is throwing away your shot to join and be part of a God-sized revolution and redemption. We're caught up in pettiness. When the Lord wants to do something so incredible, we'll all stand back and be shocked on both sides of the line. We'll be like, look what God has done. Not, oh, guess what? You were so right, and, and maybe there needs to be some of that. But no one's going to actually say, I was wrong, and you were right, and I need to come more to the middle. Unless God creates a crater of power that we all step down into. See, David knew he had to have a redemptive hope that God can and God alone may change this person's heart. And set this whole thing straight. Because we as believers are aiming for redemption for people, right? In this world. And not condemnation. As our Lord Jesus said, I didn't come in the world to condemn it, but that the world would be saved through me. How dare we step out of line? David went and told his men, y'all can't strike him down. Why do we think we can condemn a world before we actually live in redemptive vision and redemptive hope? Not that we don't give the truth, but we give the truth in the light of God's mercy and grace. And just for a moment, God's redemption broke through. And as a member of an oppressed people group myself, I know how hard this sounds. I know like David's men, I'm like them. I'm groaning. I'm looking at Jesus saying, no, Jesus, no more mercy doesn't work. No more understanding. These folk need to be shamed. They need to be hit right in the throat, right? Like, like Medea says, they didn't yeah. And these folk are folks I think are wrong. I didn't say nothing about God yet. But even if something's wrong that isn't consistent with the word of God, I still just want to get, get, get him. Here's the problem. Let me tell y'all something before I get to the end here. Guess what, y'all? It happens all over again. Next chapter. 
Saul, act good. Then someone says, hey, we found David. And Saul gets his army and goes after him again. I told you it don't work, fool. Having redeemed hope, let me say this, is not a tactic to win. Tactics can be changed over and over. It's a lifestyle. It is what it is for believers and does not change with the times or the tenor or if it happens again. That's not our job to determine when it ends. You will frustrate yourself to death and kill a whole lot of people and hurt a, lot of, a whole lot of people and lose a lot of sleepless nights, have a lot of sleepless nights if you think you can control the end. Why are you a Christian? Leave the faith. Deceit the faith. If you think you should be controlling the end with your actions, you came to Christ for a whole different reason. And again, it might be your marriage. Oh, man, married folk, we can dish it out. We can shame each other. We can accuse each other. We can stomp on each other's necks. We know everything about each other. Like David and, and Saul, we've been in the bathroom behind each other. We know each other. We see all the faults and all the nakedness, and we see all the failures, even when we try to cover it. We know, and we can just crush the heck out of each other because your husband or your wife ain't what you want them to be. Your citizenship or sense of worth are tired of running your life trying to prove you're equal, right? With that struggle in mind, let me relieve you like Saul. Let me free you to get some relief from the pressures You know, I hear people, I hear my own mind saying, all this love and mercy and grace, that's nice. But I ain't God. I hear that. And people use that as an excuse. That, that's nice, but shoot, man, please. I, somebody going to get the head busted today. Or oh, I'm going to send, right? And well, why'd you do this? Because I ain't God, pastor. I'm sorry. Okay, that's true. You ain't God, but you cannot act like there ain't no God. You ain't it. He is. So I'm not asking you to be him. Here's your relief. Here's your power. You are Saul in this story. Surprise. You are David's men in this story. Like Saul, we have all been relentless to be right, to show those liberals and those conservatives and to help bring Trump's craziness into the light or to make white people finally feel the squeeze or punish and penalize our spouses or kids for not being what we want or doing right by us or shaming us, just chasing them down like Saul does David and the Lord should and could have taken us out, but instead he has waved a flag as a piece of our worth to him and as a flag of surrender, not your surrender, he's waving to say, 
I, Jesus, surrender. I surrender my life. I surrender my pride. I give you my humiliation. I surrender my dignity. Christ laid himself on the ground and kissed the ground for you. To win and convince you of his redeemed hope for your life. You and I will never be able to do what David did in the way he did it unless we experience God's grace as us all. That Jesus, our David, surrendered his life and himself as an offer of God's grace and redemption, saved those of us who have been called but failed to live up to the calling God has positioned us for. We all have. And we're naked and we stink. And we should be taken out. We are enemies and have lived as enemies of God. And only when we believers would return, hear me, return to that story. That we have to keep returning to that reality. To, to, to the David for ourselves, for the Jesus, for our sinners. And that makes us and made us sons and daughters. And all you revolutionaries are people even trying to hold it down from being torn apart who are not believers yet. Until you see how the Lord has shown you justice and mercy in Christ like us all with David's of Jesus we will always be running after our shot doing everything we can not to throw away our shot at dignity and change and never being able to reach it he calls us sons do you know that when Jesus died on the cross in his messaging the gospel calls us sons and daughters and we haven't acted like it. He calls us a royal priesthood. He calls us the apple of his eye, the righteous of God in Jesus Christ, his beloved, his bride, his people, because Jesus used his position as a servant and God in the flesh to not condemn us or destroy us. But redeem us by grace. The Lord is calling us right now to not throw away our shot, Online, in our homes, in our conversations, to offer the grace and mercy and justice of God that we have experienced as souls to this world. We could talk through this. I'm done. Y'all can send me emails. I'll work with you. I'm a pastor, I'm not a speaker. You can send me an email, Pastor Brown, you sell out. This sounds sell out. This sounds like the same thing that all the white evangelicals just want us to believe, to be quiet, to keep black people oppressed or whatever, because I'm a black man. That's the direction I would get it. I'm not trying to criticize one group over the other. Let's talk. Show me it in the text. Let's talk. Let's talk. Write me. Let's go to God's grace together, y'all. I need it real bad. Every day I struggle with this. I, I, right now I do a little, uh, I got a sports website that I like going to, TigerNet. I have sinned so much on that website. I have said so much stuff. Just to be right. Just to make people feel bad. And some folk will know I'm a reverend, pastor, that don't sound right, or something like that. And I just try to outdo them theologically. 
And most of the people on that website, you know, 60-year-old conservative Southerners, right? Who don't think a building should be changed or a flag should be taken down, right? Here I come. And I told them, I'm your worst nightmare. I'm a black Southern conservative. And I know you better than you'll ever know me. I'm your worst nightmare. That don't sound like Jesus. How can I be their best blessing? It's hard, y'all, because I get on there and I just want to be right. Because they so wrong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. For Jesus. He is better than we are. (laughs) Yet he is our best. He's our redeemer. He is always going to be our David for any way we come out like Saul. And we, like Saul, will say, Christ, you are more righteous than we are. Christ, you be the king and I will no longer be. But by your grace, remember us, visit us. And what Saul was saying, rule us for all eternity. Do that in our lives, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.